So we are back in Nehemiah chapter 2. Let me ask by asking, start by asking a question. Would you marry me? It's a big question, isn't it? Would you marry me? Have you had to ask that question? Or I'd like to ask you for a raise. That's a tough question to ask. Could we please talk about what happened? Could you please stop doing that? Lord, I want to see. Lord, I want to see. Please take away my blindness. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Life has many questions that need asking. Today's message is entitled, Ask It. Are there questions in your life that you're still finding hard to ask? Last week we talked about God's new thing. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Have you discovered in life that often the new thing that God has for you is on the other side of a doorway that requires a question asked to get through? Sometimes the door is closed, sometimes it's open, but we walk through these doorways that the Lord leads us through often by way of questions that require us to do the asking of. Ask it. Ask the question. Andy Stanley, an American pastor, talks about um, having the courage to go and ask the question of the gorilla in the room. That we all have these rooms that have proverbial, metaphoric, metaphorical gorillas in them and we think, I could never go and ask that question. I could never go into that room. I could never go to that person and deal with that issue that's holding me back from what God wants to lead me into, God's new thing in my life. Who is it for you that represents that gorilla in the room? Nehemiah had a question he needed asking. And we'll see today that he asked the question and it led to an enormous transformation of the city of Jerusalem and a rebirthing of vision for the people of Israel. Asking the right question of the right person requires discernment and it takes courage. Here are three questions to help us ask the right question of the right people to move into God's new thing for our lives. We find them in Nehemiah chapter 2. Question 1. Am I moved by the things that move the heart of God? Am I moved by the things that move the heart of God? God is interested in the glory of his son Jesus. Does that move our heart? He's interested in justice in his world. Does it move us? The cause of justice. He's interested in the widows and the orphans. He's interested in lost people who don't know him. He's interested in people loving him and people loving others. He's interested in truth and making manifest the power of the kingdom of heaven on earth. He's interested in making disciples. He's interested in godliness. Are you moved by the things that move the heart of God? When we last left Nehemiah, he had heard about his hometown and uh, how the place was a wreck. The walls are still down, the economy is no good, spirituality is no good, and he was moved. He wept. 
And he fasted. And chapter 2 begins within the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. This is four months into the burden that he's been carrying. It's four months since he wept and he began fasting and praying and giving this cause that he's been moved about a lot of thought. He's carrying this burden, this angst. And the text says, When wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. This is biographical, the first seven chapters. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Nehemiah is obviously still moved by the events surrounding his hometown of Jerusalem. Now, let's remember for a moment what he's remembering when he is hearing the news about Jerusalem. What is uh, Nehemiah, the civil engineer in the Persian capital of Susa, remembering? Well, he's remembering um, some of these things that are on this, this slide here. He's remembering 500 years ago from 440 B.C., in the time of Nehemiah, 500 years ago, he's remembering that there was a king named David and he led Israel into unparalleled prosperity. Nehemiah is remembering a time of what we might call the glory days of Israel when um, the country was led with wise and godly leadership. There was good economic management, good politics. People were cared for and despite various imperfections, In this particular man's character, David, the Davidic kingship was celebrated as an amazing time for Israel. Then came Solomon. And Solomon did a a good job, certainly, of building wealth. People came from far and wide to say, Solomon, how do you lead a country like this? How do you do it so effectively? And he did lead it effectively, yet he made a host of mistakes as well. He built this magnificent temple and it lasted for 400 years. It came crashing down when? Read the screen. Uh, Is it there? Oh, it's not. 586. It was 586 BC. It all comes crashing down. Babylon destroys Jerusalem, the walls um, of the city, the temple, everything. And I mentioned last week that Jeremiah had prophesied this 30 years before, but who else prophesied? Moses said this would happen 1,000 years before. Moses said, if you stop obeying God, he will bring judgment on you. If you obey and, and you walk as his people, you humble yourself before him and listen and worship him alone, he will give you nothing but blessing. But if you walk away, you're going to receive judgment. You'll be scattered into exile. Of course, that's what happened. Nehemiah knew that 100 years before 440, Zerubbabel had uh, rebuilt the temple. And he knows that 13 years ago, before 440, Ezra had tried to rebuild the people's spirituality and even some of the physical construction, but uh, it was all to no avail. Am I moved by the things that move the heart of God? Nehemiah was. He was moved by God's desire 
to make Jerusalem an epicenter of his glorious presence. He was moved by that. He was moved by God's desire to be Israel's God. He was moved by God's desire to ultimately solve the problem of sin through a Messiah who would come through this line of Israel. So he decides to ask it, this question, this question that's required for him to ask, but it's going to take discernment, it's going to take courage. It's been percolating around in his heart and mind for four months. What's he going to do? Well, it took enormous courage. Um, He would have known some extra things. Um, Do you think he might have known about Esther? 30 years before, it's like us uh, knowing that the Berlin Wall came down 30 years ago. So for Nehemiah, the same distance back, there was a woman in Persia, the same capital, Susa, who actually stepped out in faith and challenged the king to do something right for the people of Israel. And scripture would remember it as the fact that God put her there for what? Such a time as this. There was a sovereign hand on her life. He knew that. He knew also that Ezra the priest had gone back to Jerusalem only 13 years earlier and the surrounding nations, it's only 13 years before 440, the surrounding nations had complained to Artaxerxes, the same king that he's about to go into the presence of. And they said, you know these people, Israel, they're rabble raisers, they're they're, they're complainers, They, they cause revolt everywhere they go. And Artaxerxes looked into it, he did his own research and he discovered it's true. You can't trust these Jewish people. So Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, put a stop. He put a policy in place to stop the rebuilding of Jerusalem 13 years before. It's the same king. So the month of Nisan is the Jewish New Year. It's a party season. So there's a party going on. The king is with his wife for some reason. And uh, when the king is in party mode, what do you reckon your face is meant to look like? Happy, happy, joy, joy. Hey, no worries. The king is having a party and I need to be having a party as well. And the king's policy on Jerusalem is clear. No rebuilding. No rebuilding. So he's in party mode. There's a clear political agenda. He's got his policies set for Jerusalem. And Nehemiah knows that if you antagonize this king, it's his prerogative to just go off with his head. He can take his life in a moment's notice. The king's party, the king's policy, the king's prerogative, but Nehemiah is moved by the things that move the heart of God. And so no matter what he's up against, he knows what he must do. And he walks into the king's presence with a sad face, even though everyone else is happy. And he walks in with a bigger, a bigger sense of destiny than what the king was projecting to him. And he asks this question. It's a big, big challenge for him. You know, you might think he's only a cupbearer, but archaeological ruins and, um, and uh, manuscripts have been discovered, um, or stonework, I can't remember what it was, but they found that the fourth highest paid position in the king's entourage was the cupbearer to the king. So Nehemiah's in a really powerful position, not only in what he's paid, but who he has access to. And he steps in and he asks the question. I hope I haven't lost you with this somewhat abstract idea of question asking. The question that you and I need to ask 
And it may not be completely obvious, but I reckon for some of us, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Asking the right question of the right person is to be soaked in prayer, soaked in wisdom. We need to find out what God thinks about that issue. We need to wait, and it'll take courage before we ask it. And verse 4 tells us what happened. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, a city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the, by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. The second question we need to ask ourselves is this, do I know what I want? Is my heart moved by the things that move the heart of God? And if I get to ask the right question to the right person, do I know what I want? How do you reckon it might have gone if Nehemiah um, answered the king in verse 4? Oh, I'm not sure. He's like, okay, you've had the courage to step out. What do you want? What do you want from me? I, I never thought that you'd be open. I don't know. See, while Nehemiah was praying, what else was he doing? He's planning, wasn't he? He's praying and he's planning and got me to think. Um, we know now in this modern day some pretty crazy stuff about imagineering. The idea of practicing an action in your mind before you get to have to do it. Imagineering, engineering the imagination so that when it comes to pass, our body is in line with our brain and we're ready. Study after study have shown that there is enormous power in mental practice for sport. When someone says to you about a big decision, sleep on it, they're encouraging you to allow the God-given capabilities of the brain to actually start mulling over. What should I be doing with this big question when you're moved by the things that move the heart of God, I think one of the reasons God doesn't rush the solution is he's actually inviting us to think about it. What do you think about that? Isn't that the gracious, unbelievably humble, sharing God we serve? He can solve every problem like that. But he puts a burden on our heart and he says, think about that. What would you do? Are you with me? This is a beautiful, glorious truth about our God, that he wants to partner with us in running this world. He knows where he's heading. He can solve every problem instantaneously, but graciously he invites us into the process. He wants to partner with us. And I think that's part of the reason why things take longer than we expect. You say, what, what do you think? Talk about some other people. Come up with a solution and I'll be guiding you in all of that. 
Jesus said in Luke 14, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? I think we're meant to use our brains. I, I always think people that say, get rid of stinking thinking and only live from your heart. I don't know if they understand the kingdom. I think we're meant to use our brains and our heart and live out of our guts. Amen? That's what, that's what we're meant to do. It flows from here. Do your plan, decide what you want and ask for it. And this is not a self-centered idea. It's soaked in patient prayer and proficient planning. Jesus is the one who asks us regularly, what would you like me to do for you? Like he asked the blind man. Goes up to the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Because maybe he doesn't want to be healed because he's got a job. He can beg. But Jesus comes up and says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man in Mark 10, 51 says, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. Sometimes I wonder whether we spend enough time thinking about the right questions that we should ask. Sometimes I think we just often go through life without asking the challenging questions that will potentially lead us into those places where we find God's new, wonderful things for our lives. Have you ever known someone who's really successful, really successful? They have power and prestige, maybe lots of money that comes along with that, but they have no relationship with their grown-up adult kids. And I look at that and I think, well, I'm, I'm making a judgment from a distance, but I'm pretty confident that you did not ask yourself when you were a workaholic whether your kids knew you and you knew them. And now you're decades on in your life and because you never asked that question and stopped and reflected on whether you should change, now you've lost a relationship that should be wonderfully strong. A lot of us climb ladders against the wrong walls. Amen? Is that what you did in your life or you're doing? You're climbing a corporate ladder, a ladder that's meant to get you the thing that you know you think you need and you haven't asked the right questions and you're getting to the top. It's like, I'm at the wrong building. I'm sowing my life into the wrong thing. And I think a lot of people these days in Australia say, I don't have any choice. It's dual income. We're under the pump. It's one of the, 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 the most expensive places to live in the world. You, know, you don't understand. I've got no choice. Really? Listen to yourself. You live in Australia. You don't have any choice. I don't think that matters who you are. If there's a place in the world where you have choice, it's Australia. Is that fair to say? I know for some of us we have less choice. That's for sure. We have less choice. We have choice about our significant relationships, about our jobs, about our friends. And it comes down to what we're moved by. If we're moved by money, education, even education for our kids, prestige, power, fear, desire, you'll plan accordingly. But I, I, my genuine sense is that sometimes the biggest question we need to ask to the biggest gorilla is ourself. We need to ask ourselves the question because you are the king of Persia. You're running your own kingdom and queendom and you're also called to go and challenge that person in the mirror and say, you know what, do you really want to be that person? 
They're hard questions to ask. But there are, there are questions that we need to ask that will lead us to the place where God can lead us into that new thing. Freedom, relationship that's deepened with the Lord and with those that matter in life and moving towards a fruitful existence for the kingdom of God. Ask it. Ask that question that you've thought and prayed about. Nehemiah nails it. Verse 4, quick prayer. He's been praying for four, four months. You noticed that, didn't you? He's about to spin. He goes, God, help me. And then he's in. He's already done his praying. And he asks three things. I need to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild that wall. I need letters of authority. And I need wood and other resources. I've been thinking about this for four months, King. I know what I need. Am I moved by the things that move the heart of God? Do I know what to ask when I get the opportunity? And the third thing is, do I know who to thank when I get the favor? Do I know who to thank? He says, because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. In Deuteronomy, Moses taught, he taught the people about the favor of God. He said, you turn your back on God, he will not give you his favor. But if you love him with all your heart, trust in his grace and his mercy, his favor will be upon you. Think about your life and the favor of God, the favor of the hand of God on your life. Can you see it? James says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. It is God's favour that opens doors. He says the king granted my request, but who really granted his request? Wasn't it God? Like, wasn't it God? The most powerful man in the world, you'd think standing before him, the king had all the power to make the decision. But scripture tells us, no, the, the, the person who had the power was God. God opens doors. God is the one who grants favour. And God moved the king to respond to the way Nehemiah had already been moved by what moves God. A fruitful life is a life lived in the unhurried rhythms of grace. We love that song, Amazing Grace, and grace will lead me home. And grace will lead us home all the way to heaven and new creation. It's going to lead us beyond death into the next life. But grace is also opening and closing doors along the way to the end. Amen? Grace will lead me home. Grace, the favour of God, is leading us along this journey that we're on in life. Psalm 23 says, He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Who are you going to thank in your life for the favour? We thank God. God wants to guide us. He wanted to guide Nehemiah. He wants to pour out his favor on us. He wants to put desires in our heart that bubble away and then grant the desire that he put in there. Take a moment. Look back on your life. Some of us have lived for longer than others. I challenge you to find anywhere where good stuff happened that God's hand wasn't in there. Our God is the one who grants favor and when you reflect, have you lived with appropriate gratitude to the one who opened the door up? 
Or deep in your heart have you thought, you know, I did that by my own strength, I reckon. And God's there saying, you didn't. I opened the door before you. My favour went in front of you. Fruitful lives come from the favour of God. Without his favour, there's no fruit. Without him, we can do nothing. So can we be challenged today by Nehemiah's life? Find what God is moved by. Find what God wants done. That is what he wants asked. And find God's favour and get it done. It starts by asking, by asking the right question. And expect pushback. Expect pushback. The passage ends in verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. You'll always find a protagonist in your story, just like Nehemiah found. So ask the question and trust God for the favour and expect the pushback. But if you're asking the right question because of God's direction with his favour, are you in the right place with that gorilla in that room? Yes. Yes. I wonder if for you... Um, you're still feeling bad about the fact that you, you did make bad decisions in your life and you have these significant relationships that are not right. It's never too late to start. It's never too late to ask the question. So if, you've got, if you're sitting here now and, and you have a, a significant relationship that's wrong, what do you reckon the question might be that God's asking you to ask? It might be something along the lines of, did I wrong you? Because I'm sorry. Can you forgive me for what I did? I forgive you. Can you forgive me? Can we start again? Maybe that's the question. Can we start again? It's never too late. What's the question? Because there's a new thing, God's new thing on the other side of that question. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for the book of Nehemiah and for this portion that we've looked at today. Uh, we see this enormous courage that he demonstrated, but we see that it came out of time with you. We give you all the praise, Lord Jesus, for always asking the right questions and always acting and living in obedience to the answer that your Father gave you. We thank you that one time you, you asked a question in the Garden of Gethsemane and your response was obedience when there was no other way but the cross. We give you all the glory for going to the cross for us and rising again and making a, a way for us to always find freedom in you by your grace. We want to be a church who live in the freedom of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Help us, we pray, to ask the right questions of ourselves and others and even you, Lord God. Amen.